I want to speak to uh, to a subject that I think is really is really important. And as we end one year and begin a new year, I think there's a subject that I want to address. And I think I've been wanting to talk about it for a, a long time. I believe that it's it's possible. In fact, I think it's probable that Christians are in danger of losing the gospel and replacing it with, um, well, essentially what I think is going on is I think that we are replacing the good news with bad news. I think what we're doing is we're, um, we're, uh, we're confusing Christianity and the good news with religion. And many people today, for many people today, you, you probably know them, they may be your friends, your neighbors, your co-workers, they have rejected the church. They've rejected Christianity. They've rejected Jesus. And really, they haven't. They've rejected religion. They've re- rejected um, hypocrisy. They've rejected uh, having to follow rules. And for too many people today, Christianity and the gospel has become nothing more than following a bunch of rules. And maybe for you, and you say, well, I do this, and I do this, and I follow this, and I do this right, and, and hopefully I do enough. And how could this happen? How could we take such incredibly good news as the gospel, and how could we have twisted it so far to become just a matter of following certain rules? But I think that's what we we're in danger of doing. So I want to look at a parable today, and it's, I'm going to, it's a rather long passage of Scripture, but if you'll join me, it's uh, Matthew chapter 25, starting at verse 14. And this is a, a, a pretty, you'll, if, if you've read through the New Testament a couple of times or been in church on a regular basis, you'll, this will be a parable that you have heard before. And uh, <clears throat> Jesus tells this parable, and I want to read through it, so just follow along with me. Um, again, the kingdom of heaven will, can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and trusted his money to them while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities, and then he left, left on his trip. The servant who received five bags of silver began to invest the money and earn five more. The servant with two bags of silver went to work and earned two more. But the servant who received one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid the master's money. After a long time, their master returned from his trip and called them to give an account of how they used his money. The servant whom he had entrusted the five bags of silver came forward with five more and said, Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest. I have earned five more. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. The servant who had received two bags of silver came uh, came forward and said, Master, you gave me two bags of silver to invest, and I have earned two more. Master said, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Then the servant with the one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid. 
I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, here is your money back. But the master replied, you wicked and lazy servant, you, if you knew I harvested uh, cr- crops I did not plant and gather crops I did not cultivate, why didn't you deposit the money in the bank? At least you could have gotten some interest on it. Then he ordered, take the money from this, this servant and give it to the one with the ten bags of silver, to those, to those who use well what they are given. Even more will be given and they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. Now throw this useless servant into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So the question is, what is this parable teaching? What is the point? What is, what is Jesus trying to get across? It's very clear that he's addressing this parable to the, the scribes and the Pharisees, the religious leaders, and, of course, to his disciples. Now, as a result of this teaching, these religious leaders began to plot how they could put Jesus to death. Now, so, now we, what we generally do is we generally say, well, this is, a, this is a parable about working harder, doing more, being wise, investing, you know, something along those lines. But no one kills someone for teaching work harder or try harder. I mean, if that's all Jesus was doing, that doesn't seem to rise to the level of let's kill this guy. (laughs) The point of the parable, I think, is incredible, but it's often missed into some sappy work hard, and at the end of your life, you'll get an attaboy. Really? Is that really what it's all about? That we work hard, and then at the end of the life, God's going to say, attaboy, come on in, you know, and, and that's the end of the parable. I don't believe that's what the parable is trying to say. I don't think it's saying, try to do better. I think it's really talking about taking a risk. You think about that. Why don't you take a risk? And, 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 and I'll define what I mean by that. I think what Jesus is saying is that if you live your life in fear, and your fear in this case that you might do something wrong, you might not do exactly what the Master intended, then you will, uh, and you live your life in fear of the master. So if you live your life like I don't want to do anything wrong and I'm afraid of the master, they really don't understand the gospel. But you think about it today, and you say, why do most people who feel like they're not going to go to heaven or they're not a Christian or even Christians, when you ask them how they're doing? sometimes they put their head down and go, well, I haven't really been doing very well or I'm not doing well or they're kind of very down, they're discouraged. And um, the point of the parable is if you're merely digging holes to protect yourself from the wrath of the Master, you don't understand the Gospel. And many people today, you talk to many people today and essentially what they're saying is I'm doing my best to protect myself from the coming wrath of the Master. I see it coming. But those who understand the gospel are willing to risk their lives. They have a new freedom. They know that when they fail, and they will, they know the master has already forgiven them. So they're free to live. They're free to fail. They're free. And that's the difference between people who understand the gospel and people who don't. People who don't understand the gospel worry about every move they make. Is this the move that will alienate me from the master is this so i better play it safe i better not take a risk i better not uh, i better 
And, and we'll talk more about how this, uh, this applies in our day-to-day lives. Christians who understand the gospel aren't worried about being punished by the master because they understand the master has already punished someone else in their place. And that's the power of the gospel. So the idea I want you to take away this weekend is this. We can only live in freedom when we fully embrace our forgiveness. And there's really some implications from this. And that's really what I want to spend the rest of our time. I want to take this parable and I want to apply the principle of this idea of freedom. And by the way, that's where we're going to go next weekend. We're going to talk about freedom and we're going to talk about it for three months in the book of Galatians. Because I'm absolutely convinced that there are people who don't understand the gospel. And because they don't understand the gospel, they're prisoners. And you may be one of them. I don't know. So what are the implications of this incredible truth? Well, here's the point. Here's, here's a couple of points. Number one, knowing I'm forgiven means that I can take off my mask and risk being who I really am. And that's, that's exactly what the Apostle Paul said. You know, there's a lot of scholars <clears throat> that wrestle with uh, Romans chapter 7, starting at verse 21. Because Paul is like saying stuff that a Christian doesn't say. And, and no, you read commentaries, and here's the debate in the commentaries. Was Paul a Christian when he said that? Was he not a Christian? Christians don't say this. Non-Christians might. And so there's this debate about, did Paul write this about when he was, before he was a Christian? Or is he writing it now as a Christian? What, what's the perspective that Paul is writing? Well, I believe that Paul is saying, as I am right now, this is what I see within me. Let me read those verses, Romans chapter 7, verse 21. Now, just think about this. Think about this. Think about you sitting down and having coffee with a friend. And they say, how's it going? And you say this to them. I have discovered this principle of life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is war within, with, at war with my mind. The, this power makes me a slave to sin and that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable, miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? That's Paul. You get the, now you can understand why the commentators are going, this must be his before Christ state. He's talking about his, I don't think so. I think what Paul is saying is, I am being real about who I am. See, when we finally acknowledge our need for forgiveness and we come to God in repentance, we find the true power of forgiveness, for we now have nothing to hide or protect. We don't care what people say or think about us. We're willing to speak truth gently. And we're able, we're enabled to speak it with tremendous supernatural power. In other words, when we begin to understand who we are and the forgiveness we receive, we don't have to, we don't have to play any games anymore. We don't have to put a mask on. We don't have to give this 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 compartment of our life when we're here on the weekend and then the rest of the week, we're a totally different person. We don't have to say, I believe this, but then behave as though we don't. We don't, ha- we don't have to do that anymore because we know that we're flawed people. And, and probably one of the ways that we've lost the gospel is we get that we come by faith, but we don't get that we're kept by Him 
We were drawn by Him and we're kept by Him. And, and we, yes, it's our faith, but understand this. The bottom line is it doesn't, the, the formula or the, 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 the gospel doesn't change the minute we cross life. It doesn't mean we come to Him as we are with all of our baggage and all of our mess and say, we're a mess, we're, we're, just, we're just not good. And then we cross the line and all of a sudden there's like this magic wand and all of a sudden we're perfect. But yet many Christians behave as though that's what happens. We're still the same person. Legally, we are now forgiven. Legally, the cell door has been opened and we can walk out and we're no longer prisoners. But that doesn't mean that we haven't been a prisoner our whole life. And sometimes we put this facade on like, yeah, I've got my life together. I don't really have any really big problems. I don't struggle at all. And when you understand forgiveness, you don't put on a front, a face, I don't think Paul was putting a face on in Romans. I think he was telling it like it was. Secondly, knowing I'm forgiven means I only have to play to an audience of one. In Acts chapter 4, the disciples are arrested. And Luke tells us that the religious leaders saw some boldness in them. They brought them in. I think they kind of pistol whipped them. They didn't pistol whip them. They didn't have pistols then. But... You know, they, they beat him a little bit, told him not to preach the gospel, and just said, okay, we'll let you go, but just shut your mouths, just stop talking. Verse, uh, Acts chapter 4, verse 19. <clears throat> they told the disciples to back off, and the disciples replied, Whatever, it, wh- whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you, or rather to God, you must judge, for we cannot be, we cannot speak of what we have We cannot, let me try that again, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. Now, in that passage, when you read through the context, they say these ones, these disciples had been with Jesus. They had been with him. They were his disciples. They were his followers. They had been with him. They knew him. And and they tied that together. They said, we think the reason they're bold is because they had been with Jesus. So there's this direct connection between being with Jesus and the boldness in the face of death and persecution. You see, if Jesus loves you unconditionally, and he does, and if he's pleased, you don't have to give a rip about pleasing anyone else. No matter how much power they may have. And that's why Christians can be so dangerous. Think about your life. How often do you worry about what other people think? See, I think we have it wrong. I think we think far too much about what other people think and far too little about what he thinks. And that's where we get into trouble. What does he think of you? He thinks, I love you. I gave my life for you. I forgive you. (laughs) I willingly did it. When I saw what my death and burial and resurrection did, it brought me great joy to know that what was lost is now found. You know, picture the prodigal son and the father and the the son comes and the father is overjoyed. That's the view that we have, that we're forgiven. I mean, remember when the the younger boy came back? he, He had this plan of redemption. Right. And his plan was, okay, I'm going to go. I'm going to have to start at the lower level now. I'm down really down at the lower level. I'm I'm going to have to build my way up. I mean, I was I was like, you know, I was doing pretty well. It was dad, older brother and me. Now I'm way down. I'm just like one of the hired men. So I was one of the hired men 
And the father would have none of it. He says, throw a robe on him. Throw a ring on his finger. That's what I think of him. I don't care what the rest of the village or the rest of the community thinks of him. What I think of him is, he's my son. And he's forgiven. Now, did he deserve it? No. Did he earn it? No. It was a gift. And see, that's what the problem is. We worry so much about what other people think about us, but we don't worry enough about what He thinks of us. And when we begin to understand what He thinks of us, it gives us a new freedom. And we realize that there's only one audience we need to play to. It's to Him. It's to Him. Play to an audience of one. And when you understand the freedom and the forgiveness of the Gospel, you begin to play to an audience of one. Number three... Knowing I'm forgiven means I no longer need to be perfect. Some of you have that as a as your goal, to be perfect, to try to be perfect. And there are some Christian denominations that believe that you'll, they never sin anymore. And I think that's pride, which is a sin, so they've already committed it. But that's neither here nor there. Uh, this is what uh, Paul says in Romans chapter 8. There is therefore now no condemnation for all of those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Now there's a really important distinctive to make in the Christian life. And that is, number one, legally we are free. Legally we are forgiven. There's no condemnation. There's no judgment that's ever going to come on those of us who are in Christ Jesus. The moment you give your heart and life to Jesus Christ, the moment you cross that line of faith, you are completely forgiven. There's not anything that you can do that will bring condemnation on you. The condemnation fell on Jesus Christ on the cross for sins, past, present, and future. All condemnation came down on Him And so when you are in Christ, it's like an umbrella. The condemnation came on Christ, but you were protected because Christ, you are in Christ. You remember in the Old Testament, the book of Exodus, during the plagues, the last plague was the plague of the firstborn, and they had to put blood over the doorpost. And it said when they took the blood of the lamb and they they swiped it, they painted it on the the doorpost, the angel of death would pass over that house, and those within that house, under that door, would be protected. In the same way, we are not just protected, we are forgiven. If you are in Christ, you are forgiven. There's no more condemnation. Let that sink in a little bit. If you are in Christ, you are not condemned. Now, what does that mean to be in Christ? Paul says that this in 2 Corinthians. By the way, a great interesting study to do is just take that phrase, in Christ, and follow it all the way through the New Testament. It has so much richness. Let me give you a few verses. 2 Corinthians 5.17 If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. And in a sense, it's a new horizon. It's a new day. It's a new dawning. The doors of the, the cell are open, and we can walk out now. We are free to walk out. We have a new freedom. Now, here's what I'm finding. I'm finding the door has been opened. And I'm finding that we we step out, but then we step back in. And we act like we're prisoners still. Now, some of you probably saw the movie 
And maybe it didn't, and this will speak to those of you that went to the movie. I'll describe the scene. So I went to the, the movie Unbroken, and the la- one of the last uh, parts of the prison camp is, uh, and this is going to be a, a little spoiler alert. It's not a big one, but it's a little spoiler alert. So uh, all the prisoners in this, this camp, and they were just loading coal into trains and stuff, they walk out and uh, they think, this is it, they're going to kill us because... The allies are coming, and they're getting closer, and they, they, they have heard, the prisoners have heard that the Japanese are going to execute all the prisoners on the spot uh, and then run. So they, they say, okay, you need to go. We're going to allow you to take a bath. So they allow them to go into this, the, the, you know, the water, and they're all walking in there slowly, and they're thinking, this is it. We're dead. It's, it's all over. And they're black with coal, and they're just standing there. And the guards are sitting there with automatic rifles, and they think this is it. And all of a sudden, they see this plane coming. And it just keeps coming, and all of a sudden, it goes overhead, and you see the insignia of the United States. And they realize the war is over. They're free. And at that moment, something happened. They began to rejoice. They began to, and they understood now they have freedom. And what Paul is saying here is the moment you stepped across the line of faith, the plane flew overhead, and you were free. You're free. There's no condemnation. You are a new creature in a sense. They were new creatures because they were no longer prisoners. They now could go back to a life, they had a new life before them. And I'm sure some of them went back and they lived their lives very well and some didn't live so well. But the point was they were free. Now, Paul says this in Galatians, Now that faith has come, we are no longer under the guardian for in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God, put in their daughters of God through faith. Um, We are not sons and daughters because we've earned it. We're not sons and daughters because we deserved it or we inherited it. It all comes to us by grace. We are called and we are kept by grace. And so there's this new freedom that we have. And what I find is many Christians aren't living living out that freedom. They're living in bondage. They're putting on masks. They're putting on this perception of who they really are. And they're playing to an audience of the people around them rather than an audience of one. Number four, and we'll close with this one. Knowing that I'm forgiven means I now find my value in Christ, the only one who can really assign value. Notice what Paul says in Ephesians 2.10. He says, we, speaking of those who are in Christ, are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, what, what Paul, and I, I talked about this verse a while ago. What Paul is saying essentially, and this, the verses before this are really telling in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, he says, For by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, as any man should boast. For we are God's masterpiece, we are God's workmanship, we are God's work of art. And I talked about that in a sermon about a month ago. And, and essentially what, what Paul is saying here is that when knowing that you're forgiven means that you can allow the Creator, the One who made you, the One who gave His life for you, to assign value to you. Because what we've allowed is we've allowed 
people around us, maybe our parents, good or bad, maybe our friends, good or bad, maybe our, our bosses, where we work, our coaches, whatever, to assign value about who we are and whether we're good, whether we're valuable. And I just want to say to you that there is one in the universe and the only one who has the right to assign value to you. Some of you have never understood and never really received and never really taken in that you are valuable because he, the creator of the universe, the one who made you in his image, the one who gave his life for you, he says you are valuable. You are not just valuable. You are his masterpiece. Think about that. You're walking masterpieces. I like how Dick Staub says it in his book about you. He says, I am a masterpiece, a genius who to be satisfied in this life and the next simply must reach my fullest potential. The glory of God is a human fully alive. And to go to the grave with my song still in me would be a dishonor to my creator and diminish me. I am of great worth because I bear a unique imprint of God's image. I possess distinct spiritual, intellectual, creative, and relational capacities ready to be developed and expressed. I've come to my senses. I've returned to my Creator. And when we come to Christ, we return to our Creator. We return to our Maker. And we find our purpose. We find our meaning. We find forgiveness. We find freedom. We find joy. We find hope. We find purpose. We find all those things. And sadly, 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 the Gospel has turned into nothing more than following a set of rules and regulations. I believe forgiven people are dangerous. They are no longer afraid. They they don't have anything to hide. They finally are free because they know they're forgiven. When we know we're we're forgiven, we don't have to cover our sin. We don't have to try to be somebody that we're not. When we have been set free by the sacrifice of Jesus, uh, we have this new freedom. We become dangerous. And I mean that in the most positive way I could say it. We have a new freedom. We understand who we are in Christ. Let's not walk back into the prison. The whole book of Galatians, when we get to Galatians, what you're going to find is Paul is going to describe those who have heard the gospel. They have not understood it, though. They don't understand. It's almost as though... The the cell door has been opened, and they don't know what to do with that. So they remain in the jail cell. And here's what I'm, I'm thinking. There are Christians who either have been taught or haven't been taught that though you may be free, you can't leave the cell. I'm going, well, if that's the case, it kind of stinks, doesn't it? What the gospel says is not only are you free, you can leave the cell. And you don't have to bury your stuff and worry about a master coming because wrath has already come. And it came on Calvary and it came upon him. And he took the wrath of God 
And you are going to fail. And you're not perfect. And God isn't, you know, you're not, you don't have to put on a facade that you are perfect because everyone around you knows it anyways. So stop playing a game. And, and one of the things that, that, that Christians, for some reason, they put this perception out and maybe the, the world doesn't get it. But they, they, for some reason, they feel like Christians are, are, have to be perfect. I think one of the most powerful things that Christians can admit is we're failures. We screw up. We sin. We say and do things that we should never do. We're still forgiven. We're still trying. We're still growing. Hopefully we're acknowledging that. We're admitting that. And we're growing. We're becoming better people. We're becoming more honest and more dependable and more loving and more, you know... That's, that's the process. But if we're going to put this facade on that we already are, but we really aren't. If we're going to have like this Sunday face or weekend face and then the rest of the week or whatever. You know, you, you know what I'm talking about. We're going to pick this up next week. I think this topic of freedom is so stinking important. And we're going to spend three months on it. And you're going to find that freedom is a good thing. I hope by the end of three months, we have some really dangerous people in this church. We say, I only care about what one person thinks. I know who I am in Jesus Christ. I don't have to worry about burying whatever God has given me. I'm going to invest. I may lose millions, and I'm not talking money. You get my point. I'm going to take risks. I'm going to be who all that I can be. I'm going to find out what his plan of be, me being his masterpiece really is. I'm going to go and do that. I'm going to take risks, and I don't care what other people are going to say. You're crazy. Why would you go do that? Why would you take a risk? Why would you do that? And you say, I don't know. I just feel like I'm free, and I may as well, because I'm forgiven. And forgiven people are pretty dangerous people. Pretty dangerous. May God help 2015 be a new year for all of us as we become the most dangerous church in town. Would you stand with me? Let's pray. And so, Father, that is our prayer that we would understand the freeing grace of the Gospel, that we would understand what freedom truly is, that we would understand that the wrath of God has already fallen. It fell on Jesus. And He took the wrath for us. The cell doors are open. It's up to us to walk out. Help us not to bury what You have intended for us in the ground. And may we take out risks and invest it. May we go and live our lives Play to an audience of one. Take our masks off and live in the freedom that you've given to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.